This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. Uh, We had a turbulent week in Lansing, negotiations on the state budget, stop and start. We'll see what happens, but we've got a special guest on our program today. He is freshman state representative Matt Kolazar from the 20th House District. He is a Democrat from the Plymouth area. Representative Kolazar, welcome to the Political Insider. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Yeah, tell us, your district is what? Uh, the city of Plymouth and Plymouth Township, what else? Uh, Plymouth, Plymouth Township, also the city of Northville um, and Northville Township, as well as the eastern portion of Canton. Wow, that's a really great area to represent. I bet you've been excited about being up here in Lansing. Um, let me just cut to the chase here. Um, MIPSERS, now that's an acronym. We live in a world of acronyms nowadays, M-P-S-E-R-S, Michigan Public School Employee Retirement System. Um, I'd just like Representative Colasar to explain what that is and uh, the pension fund that they have, and uh, we'll take it from there. Representative Colasar, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. I'd say, well, basically, it's our um, it's our school employees um, educate. It's their retirement system. It's exactly what the acronym says. And what it is is this is something that um, that they pay into throughout the course of their career, and then it basically helps ensure a uh, a um, secure retirement when they are ready to retire. Yeah. Well, um, in their desperate search for extra dollars to fix the damn roads. Um, Republicans in the legislature have said they think it might be a, a great idea to bond against MIPSERS or reduce scheduled payment to the state's uh, pension system for school employees. And from everything I gather, you think that is a terrible idea. And I think you've got a lot of support <laughs> in the state house, uh, particularly from your Democratic colleagues. Explain why is that a bad idea? Sure. So this is a terrible idea because, one, it's not fiscally responsible. You're talking about just kicking the can down the road and furthering the state's debt. That's a huge problem. Also, especially with the bonding issue, but also with the uh, um, rescheduling of the payments that was talked about, the amortization of teacher pensions or educators' pensions, I should say. Um, The problem with that is that we have a system in place that will eventually fully fund our pension system by 2038. You knock that out by more, later on, later generations of Michiganders are going to have to pay for that. And we are really putting our state in a position later on down the road where we are going to be hurting our economy long term. It's not worth the risk. So, in other words, Republicans, let me ask you this. How much money do they think they might be able to raise by raiding MIPSERS uh, or reducing scheduled payments? What are they talking about? And you obviously think it's not worth the price or cost of their trying to do it, but what is it they're talking about? Well, it's being estimated about $900 million, which does fall short of the governor's $2.5 billion request to fix our roads. We all can acknowledge that we need to fix our roads. I mean, I I hit a couple potholes and had a slow leak in the tire just this winter. Like, I I get it. 
but to do it at the basically, we know that we want to re, re, um, that we want to restore our roads and get them to where they need to be. We also know that we need to help our educational system and put that to where it once was as well. And one shouldn't come at the cost of the other one. We've got two big priorities that we need to fix. Well, this $900 million the Republicans think they might be able to get, is that like a one-time annual thing they'd get out of this? Is that it? Essentially, it's my understanding of it and being a policy guy and not a guy that's just on appropriations. My understanding is is that's what you would get um, annually, but it's not the $2.5 billion that the governor wants. In other words, you'd get $900 million every year into the foreseeable future uh even though that's way short of $2.5 billion. It's not just a one-time, one-year thing. Well, my understanding of it is it's $900 million this year. It's impossible to really predict what it will be in future years because we don't know how many people are participating in MIPSERS at that point, who is retired, who is not. It's tough to say beyond this year, but I know $900 million for this year or for the next fiscal year is what I've been told. You know, one of your colleagues, uh, Representative Julie Brixie, says uh, – she says, I don't even know why anyone is talking about it after the most conservative economic group showed the state has about a 50-50 chance of making money and an almost 30% chance of losing $25 billion or more. It's a fiscally reckless gamble that jeopardizes existing K-12 education and road funding. That's what she says about bonding against MIPSERS. We're not talking about reducing scheduled payment. That's a different concept. What do you say to that? Do you agree with her? You know what? Representative Brixey made a very good point when she also said, when you look at this, uh, at the idea of reducing our payments, it's kind of like taking out a loan on a used car that has 100,000 miles on it and saying, hey, we're going to pay it over six years for this car that's had, trouble, that's had some trouble in the past, got 100,000 miles on it, but hey, your payments will be lower. Nobody in their right mind would take that would take that gamble with their car. I mean, say, okay, I've got 100,000 miles on this, but hey, let's do a six-year loan. That's basically what this would be, and that's a dangerous, very dangerous game. You know, you House Democrats did come up with a plan on how to fix the damn roads, uh, but it's just been kind of overlooked and shunted aside by the news media because everybody talks about Governor Whitmer's plan to raise the gas tax 45 cents a gallon or the Republican ideas, such as raiding MIPSERS, uh, what about your House Democratic plan? Uh, could that work, and why isn't it getting more attention? Yeah, as far as why it's not getting more attention, I, I wish I knew. I think it could work. I mean, we've talked a lot about closing corporate loopholes, for example. There are some silly corporate loopholes out there that I think would be great to have them closed. For example, uh, we've got one right now that gives you a $25 million tax credit, or we have $25 million in tax credits, that would um, basically is given to companies for following federal environmental regulations. So basically, we're giving $25 million in tax credits for obeying the law. Um, you have to do it anyway. Why are we giving tax credits for that? Stuff like that. We start to close those corporate loopholes, and the numbers start to add up pretty quickly. In addition, you talk about um, having heavy trucks paying their fair share as well. They do the most damage to the roads. They should be responsible for helping to repair them. Yeah, I don't think many people will disagree with that. Well, do you think the Republicans really are serious about using Mipser's money uh, to help raise money for the roads? Do you think that'll happen as part of this ongoing budget negotiation process? What do you think? Thankfully, I do not. Um, Based on their conference committee yesterday, 
and the proposed budget that came out along party lines yesterday, uh, there was no there was no looting of the Mipser system. So thankfully, I feel like that has been um, taken off the table, which is good. Um, I know that uh, myself, along with many of my colleagues, were very very much adamant and out loud about opposing it. And I think that that message has been received because it was not in yesterday's proposed budget. You know, you guys in the House Democratic Caucus in a really tough place. You've got a Democratic governor you want to support. Uh, You want to resist what the Republican majority legislature is trying to do. You've got to try and come up with your own plan on uh, the budget and fix the damn roads. I mean, in a perfect world, what would uh, Representative Matt Colazar come up with to try and deal with all this huge bundle of problems that confront the state right now? Well, in a perfect world, I think the two sides would actually come together and say, okay, how can we do this in a bipartisan fashion? This shouldn't be a power struggle, because when it happens that way, the people of Michigan end up being the ones that get caught in the middle and end up being the ones getting hurt. We do have divided government, which, as as a former AP government teacher, I think is fantastic, because it should, in theory, force everybody to come together. Unfortunately, we're still, still seeing this polarized atmosphere where each side is trying to show what they can do, and, and you don't want that. So we really want to see us all coming together. In a perfect world, to me, we would come together to address the problem of um, funding our public schools as well as fixing our roads. You're absolutely right, Representative Colzar. They did that back in the early 90s, but that uh, procedure seems to have been lost. Thank you so much, Representative Matt Colzar, Democrat of Plymouth, for being our guest on The Political Insider. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with another guest, and he is Representative Jack O'Malley. He is a freshman Republican from the 101st House District, which I believe includes Leelanau, Benzie, Manistee, and Mason counties. Is that correct, Representative O'Malley? It is, Bill. I like to say it's uh, the uh, pinky in the mitten. Well, it's a very choice location, a very great district you've got. Fantastic. Well, you've got a lot on your plate. I mean, everything from road repairs, fix the damn roads, uh, to shifting sand dune in Onekama, (laughs) to uh, the cherry industry, and then there's obviously the ongoing budget battle. Sure. Uh, so let, let's get started. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, you well, had a press conference yesterday, right? Yes. Well, first of all, let me just say when you talk about everything on my plate, what I like to say is uh, my life expectancy in Lansing is only six years, so i got to get busy. <laughs> well, you are busy. You haven't wasted <laughs> any time. So uh, what about uh, road repairs? I mean, you've got some great ideas, some great legislation you're introducing along with I think your Democratic counterpart, Tim Sneller, you had a press conference yesterday. Tell us about it. You bet. Uh, well, Bill, let's go back. I'll briefly go back to the beginning. Uh, as freshman uh, representative, uh, I was made chair of transportation, and I went back to my office, and I said to my gang, I said, I got to get smart fast. And uh, 
I then asked the speaker uh, if we might be able to hold extended hearings on just what it takes to build a road, because we have to learn. And members of the, the committee, uh, many of them were first-time uh, mem members of that committee, too. Uh, we had to learn, what's it take? How can we make decisions if we don't really know what it is we're working with? So we spent 12, uh, 12 different hearings, consecutive hearings, uh, over about a six, seven-week span. So we doubled up, which is very unusual uh, in Lansing, but I thought it was important that we stay focused. And we brought in everybody. We brought in the private sector, the public sector. We brought in the uh, uh, academic sector. Uh, and we said, what does it take? And with that, we started to, to get together and, and come together with some ideas on things that we could, could change. And one of the things that really became clear to me, Bill, and, and I think this makes sense to a lot of people because uh, I went ahead and, and we started doing road town halls, and I, and I talked to the people of Michigan. But what I wanted to say is Lansing always talks about a budget, which is hugely important, don't get me wrong, but how we spend your money is just as important. And uh, these 11 bills, and there were four others that were already introduced a while back that we're kind of including in this package for a total of 15, do just that. They spend money smarter, and I can get into some of those if you'd like me to. Yeah, I'd like you to. This is Representative Jack O'Malley from the 101st District Chair of the House Transportation Committee. Go ahead. What do some All of right. these bills do? As I went around the state and, of course, is knocking doors as a candidate, I heard the same comments about our roads over and over and over. I, I can recite them in my sleep. But one of the, the questions that really started getting under my skin was, well, why are the roads better in fill-in-the-blank? And we can have a whole discussion on that, but one of the things that really came clear was that Michigan is the most restrictive state in the country as to what it won't allow its locals to do. And the Citizens Research Council came in and testified to that, and they had graphics and everything, and I looked at my guys, and it was like, we had been thinking that, and they you know, came in with the evidence. The point is, Bill, in other states, locals are allowed to raise money on their own. In Michigan, the only way to do that is with a property tax or a millage. And people are, are milledged enough. So other states allow them uh, ways to uh, pass their own gas tax, their own excise tax. Some states have a sales tax that's dedicated just to roads. Michigan does none of that. And so two of these bills, my bill uh, is a local gas tax, Representative Sneller, uh, he has the uh, registration, local registration fee. The idea is, and this is important for people to hear, this would be a local tax voted on by those people, voted, uh, voted the people, a November election, so it can't get snuck through, and all that money would stay in that jurisdiction. It doesn't go into the state. It doesn't go anywhere else. Because I think, Bill, when you look at the realities of things, our state trunk lines definitely need help. Don't hear that I didn't say that. But the worst roads in the state are from your driveway to the highway, the local roads, and we have been so restrictive on what we allow our locals to do. And, and there are some other bills in the package, obviously, that give locals uh, more flexibility in how they spend the money they do get from the state. Everything you say sounds eminently sensible. It's just staggering to me that this hasn't been thought of before or tried before by previous legislatures. Well... You know, uh, I had someone criticize me early on that I didn't know anything about roads. And I heard about this discussion, and the other person, the person being interviewed, said, well, maybe you'll come in with a fresh set of eyes. 
And I think that's a big part of it, Bill. You know, the old, you and I are old enough to remember that old cartoon of the plumbing, the pipe that goes one way and then it goes up, then it goes down, then it goes here <laughs> and it goes all. That's in many ways how legislation is done. Never did they really stop and look at, at the whole picture, which is what we did with our hearings. Well, what do you think the prospects are for some of these bills or maybe all of them to get through the legislature as part of, let's say, a long-term solution to fix the damn roads? Because that's still got to be addressed, whether it's in the budget this fall or whether it's uh, later in the year or next year or in the future. Well, Well, let me just say this. I don't disagree with you, obviously. But one thing that was lost in this discussion, because, and and I said this in all the town halls, uh, our governor had, I I salute her. She had a great campaign slogan, and you've repeated it a few times. I don't say it because I'm tired of hearing it. (laughs) But, but, But she had a great campaign slogan that she rode to the finish line. I salute her. The problem is our roads are getting fixed, and that's the part of this that people don't want to think about. That people say, "Well, what happened to our money in 2015? That road plan? It's being being used. Those those barricades out there, I, I I call them beautiful orange barrels now, because that means the roads are getting fixed. And if you've been driving around this state this summer, you know. And in the last few years, we've gone from three and a half billion dollars uh, in roads spending to this year we're spending $5 billion. That's an increase. That's an increase, but you never hear anybody talk about it. They act as if the 2015 road plan was, uh, you know, it never really happened. It has. Do we need to continue and go a little further? I believe we do. But the fallacy that roads aren't getting fixed is wrong. Look around. Right. Well, your speaker, Lee Chatfield, uh, also from up north, Republican of Levering, has said politics is easy. Governance is hard. So fix the damn roads. Great slogan. Got somebody elected. But how do you make it work? How do you put it into practice? That is the tough part, right? Well, yes. And when we talk, when I went around to the uh, to the town halls, one of the things that I said, and I learned this from going door to door, is everybody has a nugget of truth. Uh, Warranties. If we had warranties, uh, we the state's roads would be great. Uh, If we used rubber in our roads, the roads would last longer. They're a nugget of truth. They're not the whole truth. And when you sit down and you listen to everybody for, you know, 12 hearings, you start to realize that building and, and, and maintaining roads is rocket science. It's very complicated. To fix a road, to, to redo a whole road could take up to two years just to plan. So wow. one of the things I think is very important is for people to also realize the governor thinks this can get done in 10 years. I've talked to a lot of folks involved in this that said, man, that is awful optimistic. It could be 15 or more. Right. So, Listen, we got to take a short break I'll here. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about cherries and shifting sand dunes in Onekama with Representative Jack O'Malley. Back in a second. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Representative Jack O'Malley, Republican of the 101st House District, which includes God's Country, Leelanau County, Benzie County, Manistee, Mason Counties. Uh, It's kind of like the Gold Coast up there, the pinky on the mitten, as the representative would say. And we talked about road repairs in the first segment. But, look, he's got some other stuff going on that is really fascinating. 
first of all, the cherry industry, uh, you've got, you know, the growers up there are really uh, struggling amid an unfair trade threat. Can you tell us about that? I sure can. And it's not just uh, in my region uh, in the north. I mean, we have cherry growers in other parts of uh, the state and the country that are being affected as well. Uh, about three, four years ago, uh, we had a very bad spring. We had uh, really cold weather, and, 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 it would, and but the crop was really hurt. And that kind of opened the door for the Turks to start importing cherry products. And uh, one might say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, it's competition, and I'm all for it. The problem is, and it's funny how geopolitical things can get into an issue like cherries. Well, the, the, the gent who's in charge of Turkey, I don't know his name, uh, is trying to solidify his power, and he wants to, and, and this is the things you learn when you're a representative, uh, he's trying to build his base up. So what he's done is he has taken parts of rural Turkey and they, he has just built up the cherry industry. The Turkish government has supplied the trees. They supply the equipment. They su- really supply everything and subsidize their cherry industry. Uh, they want to become the world leader in stone fruits, peaches, and other things. So now, as we move forward, the cherry industry is being flooded with Turkish imports, and they're selling uh, cherries and cherry concentrates at 89 cents a pound when – our growers have to sell them at $4.60 a pound. Wow. But now, here's, here's the kick in the teeth. In Turkey, they sell their, that same pound of cherries for $3.50. So uh, you can see where the Turkish government has just really just uh, washed over our guys, and it's, it's hurting them very bad. Many of them are pulling trees and, and getting out of the business because it costs more to, to grow the fruit than it does to, to sell it. Well, so what are you proposing to counter this? Well, I didn't propose anything. Our cherry industry, with money of their own, hired lawyers and found the evidence, and they submitted a case to the International Trade Commission and our Department of Commerce that said, we are being injured, here's the proof, we need help. And so now it's in that collective body in Washington to decide if there is injury, which we believe there is, and then that is the case, then what duties or taxes or tariffs, whichever word you want to use, would be imposed on those Turkish imports to level the playing field. So what I introduced was a House resolution, non-binding, there was no act of law, but everybody supported it. And it was just to, to let our Washington delegation, our congressmen and senators, know that the House of Representatives is behind our industry and our growers Take that to Washington and let them know that we're behind them. So I introduced that resolution, and it was a voice vote, but it sure sounded unanimous to me. Sounds like a great idea. Let's shift our talk to shifting sand dunes. What about that? What's going on in your district? Onekama, I know where that is. Yeah, it's a beautiful little village, and this is the township of Onekama. Now, anybody who might be listening... Uh, who, who believes we need to protect and save the environment. Trust me, I agree as well. We all want the same things. And, but sometimes when you have rules, uh, they can kind of trample over little footnotes. And one of those footnotes is the township of Onekama. They have a little, and I'm telling you little, township park 
that sits on Lake Michigan. It's just kind of off the Portage Point area. And it literally is about the, the, the width of the distance from home plate to first base. And the whole park is about the size of a baseball infield. And huh. eight, ten years ago, they wanted to put in a couple of gazebos to, to, to spritz it up. And forever, people could pull in. It was a flat beach out to the water. And people could pull in and just park and look at the lake. Well, they put in the gazebos and the DEQ, now Eagle, said, well, you should plant some dune grass, which they did. And dune grass is very efficient. It catches sand. Well, now there's a 12-foot-tall <laughs> pile of sand between Uh-oh. that parking lot and the beach. Oh, my gosh. So that was, a bad be- mo- that was a bad move by DEQ, Deagle. Well, that's what I agree. And it, so what we're asking is, and this, this got, uh, got to the House and the Senate last year, and DEQ uh, was at least neutral on it, uh, but the governor didn't sign it. So now we're back, and uh, the people at Eagle – uh, are are saying no 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 we can't do that and part there is the, the dunes are near it but this is the only access point for 12 miles in either direction and all they want to do is push the sand and spread it around so they can lower it but right now the state is saying they can't we're going to try and negotiate with them and talk to them uh, and say can we do this they're worried and I get it that if you do it for one you got to do it for all. And I think that we can show that this is a very specific case and we deserve that exemption, if you will. And I don't even think they need the exemption because they're not in the dune. Yeah, well, what about uh, Eagle? Why were they neutral last time uh, when Governor Snyder apparently didn't accept it and now they've come out in opposition? Why, why have they hardened their stance? That I don't know. Um, I'm going uh, to guess, with all due respect, that last year it was – DEQ, now it's Eagle. There are some new people in, in, in charge, and, you know, maybe they don't have the same uh, uh, track record in the sense of knowing the issue. I don't know. I, I, I want to talk to them. I'm, I'm a believer in talking. I'm not real happy with them, but I am, I am more than willing to sit down and talk, but I hope they're reasonable. What's your uh, overall impression experience down here in Lansing? You had an incredible career in radio. You're the pro here. I'm just an amateur <laughs> talking to you. You're and, doing great. Yeah, you have more uh, experience in radio than anybody in the legislature, and now you find yourself, instead of commenting on things that maybe a legislature might be doing, that wasn't uh, maybe your overall shtick during your career on radio, but you undoubtedly touched on the subject. But now you find yourself immersed in it. You're part of it. Uh, what's your reaction to your experience? Well, I would say that um – if, to be successful in radio in a community, you have to know that community because if you don't, they're not going to listen to you because you're going to be talking about something they don't care about. So for 34 years at WTCM, I did the morning show, and I got to know northern Michigan really well. And the opportunity came to serve in a different way, and I never served in the military, and I thought this was my way to be of service, my hitch, if you will. And so I think I'm going into Lansing with a good feel of uh, the, the thoughts that people have and also, I think, a respect of both sides because even though I have my convictions, uh, I knew I had to speak carefully and thoughtfully and respectfully on the radio. Now, we'd have some fun and, and do it entertainingly, but uh, I think everybody knew that I was a, a reasonable guy. 
and so I think that's helping me. And uh, uh, I found my uh, first few months here in the legislature as uh, exciting. I really think that I can make a difference, and hopefully Bill use those communication skills God gave me to uh, make a difference. Yeah, I mean, are there some surprises that you've encountered that you maybe didn't expect when you got down here? And, of course, you got a long commute. My gosh, you get down here. You're not in the UP like Bo Lefebvre or uh, Sarah Cambenzi or yep. some of these people, but you're pretty far away. Yeah, it's about a, a little over three hours. Uh, unless there's those beautiful orange barrels in my way, then I have to take a little detour. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is a little bit of a drive. Uh, yeah, people, you know, one of the questions, well, do you live down there now? If I lived in Lansing, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to be a representative in this district. I do rent a room uh, that is very much college dorm-like. It is not uh, very fancy. Uh, so uh, I'm not living in the lap of luxury, but I love it, and uh, I'm working hard. Uh, Listen, congratulations on winning the seat and having the opportunity to serve the 101st District Representative Jack O'Malley of Lake Ann, a Republican, Chairman of the House uh, Transportation Committee. Thank you, Representative O'Malley. Thank you, Bill. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned. Uh, We have had two guests so far, one from uh, suburban Wayne County, another from northwestern Michigan. And now we've got somebody who is really close to Lansing geographically. He is Representative Graham Filler, a Republican of DeWitt, who I believe was raised in nearby Ovid uh, in Clinton County. this is the uh, 93rd House District, Representative Filler. Thanks for being with us. Bill, thanks for having me. And I just want to ask you about the um, press conference you had this week. You actually had a couple of them, I think, uh, sweeping bipartisan plan to reform Michigan's expungement laws and remove barriers to employment for reformed offenders. Now, could you describe uh, what's going on here? Bill, I, I almost can't describe it better than you did. That's a heck of a start. But uh, let me just tell you, right now in the state of Michigan, you can get one felony and or two misdemeanors taken off your record. It's a pretty narrow statute, and we view expungement as a job-creating concept. We view it as a liberty concept and as a second chance and a proportional penalty concept. So our focus is if people learn that they can get some of their lower-level crimes expunged. It will help them get to work. It will help employers find good workers. And um, it's, a public, it's a public safety thing, too, which no one really talks about. So listen to this. If an individual is making money and providing for their family, that's about the safest individual you can have in a community. And so we think we've got a bipartisan winner here. We've got remarkable support um, from both caucuses right now. And I look forward to taking up for hearing in House Judiciary soon. Yeah, this is a one place where happily you've got some bipartisanship on an issue, despite what we've been reading and seeing and hearing this week about the budget process and fix the damn roads. Uh, it looks like uh, partisanship is out the window. But you are uh, presenting hope that bipartisanship is not dead. 
So in other words, you're saying Michigan already has what are called expungement laws, but yours would reform these laws, expand them, make them work better. That's right. Right now we have very limited, very narrow uh, ability to expunge crimes off your record. And, you know, should an individual really be um, sort of sat on by the government, should they really their job prospects, you know, be crushed for 5, 10, 15, 25 years after they committed a misdemeanor? And we really don't think so. Um, and I think both Republicans and Dems would agree with this concept of we need folks working and we're hiring in the state of Michigan. Uh, let's say you're convicted of uh, driving while intoxicated and maybe you're a repeat offender and you end up going to prison. Is that a felony or is that a misdemeanor? Or does it make it? Well, that's going to be a fel- that's going to be a felony. Bill. And so you're bringing up a, maybe indirectly a really good point, which is this. Um, right now, no traffic offenses are allowed to be taken off your record, no matter how low misdemeanor or felony. So, what you would think about is something like um, uh, driving without a license, and somehow that turns into a misdemeanor. Well, that can't come off your record at all, and we think that it's time that we look at that. We don't think that people who have a couple low-level driving misdemeanors should then let that um, hurt their record and their job prospects for the rest of their life. So we've got a traffic offenses bill in there. Uh, it's a Pauline Wenzel bill enrolled on Thursday. And it does not provide for OUIs or um, uh, DUIs, uh, but, you know, that's an ongoing conversation, too. Well, what if the OUI or the DUI ends up being a felony and you're incarcerated, maybe you're in a prison for a year or two or whatever, and you get out, as I understand it, I mean, you could go, you have to wait five years to even be eligible to have any chance of getting certain jobs. Is that correct? You know, that I don't know. I'll just tell you that um, traffic offenses, you cannot get them off your uh, criminal record at all. If they turn into misdemeanors and felonies. And, Bill, we went down to Detroit, and we went down to some job fairs, and I remember specifically meeting with a woman who said, look, I'm doing great. I'm providing for my family, uh, for my kids. I got a couple uh, low-level low-level misdemeanors when I was young, and I want to do better. I want to get that promotion, but this is holding me back because I'm outside the eligibility. And I really want to get those traffic offenses off so I can get my license and also so I can just move on and, and get the promotion that I'm looking for. We thought that was really powerful. How many folks have low-level traffic or just low-level misdemeanors just sitting out there on their record stopping them from moving forward? And we really took that into account um, when we were working on the legislation. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these people can't even drive. They can't get, you know, uh, they have no transportation. So it really limits their ability to get a job. Yep. Um, What what about uh, the prospects for this legislation to uh, get some traction, get out of committee, get past House and Senate? What do you think? You know, I'm incredibly bullish on it. Uh, the bills were enrolled on Thursday. Um, I have presented in front of caucus um, on the back, on the background and sort of my thoughts on the necessity of it. And um, uh, I look forward to taking it up for hearing in-house judiciary. I think we'll have support there. 
Um, when you talk about maybe possible opposition, I really haven't seen much so far, and we have met extensively with stakeholders. Folks like the prosecutors have been a great partner with us. Um, I think really what we've been hearing is a lot of folks want to push it to go much farther than it is written. Um, and if that's our main problem, then I think that's, that's not a bad thing, just people who, who want to push it farther. Yeah, you're chair of the House Judiciary Committee, so you can control this to a great extent, at least in terms of bringing up the bills, having hearings, maybe getting it out of committee. Do you get any sense from the governor's office uh, what their feeling is? I would say that uh, philosophically the governor's office agrees that expungement, um, the concept of expungement is a good one when it comes to getting people working and giving people a second chance. And so I would say that's, that's a really... That's a really good thing. I've gotten good signs from that office so far. Switching gears slightly, uh, how do you look at what's going on right now with the budget, and how do you feel about it in terms of whether it it could be passed and accepted by Governor Whitmer by the deadline for this fiscal year of September 30th? You know, I'm I'm really bullish on that, too. And I do think the the threat of a veto of a really good budget is a – you know, is a little bit of a, maybe a, a faint a misdirection um, or a negotiating tool. I, I do think that we're going to agree that uh, shutdown is, is not a smart thing to do and not good for the state of Michigan. And if there's a budget sitting out there with some good funding for schools and for roads, you know what, let's, let's get that budget signed and let's keep working on roads. Yeah, do you think the prospects for what might be considered a long-term solution to road funding uh, is obtainable after the start of the fiscal year, October 1st, because now Governor Whitmer says she's willing to entertain discussions on that with the Republican majority legislature separate from passing the budget by September 30th. I do think the long-term road funding conversation is one that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a positive guy overall and optimist, but uh, you've got a lot of Republicans uh, who acknowledge that the roads need some work, and we're all up for a nuanced discussion when it comes to giving locals uh, an option to raise money um, or all the money from the uh, from the pump going to the roads. I, I just think these have been really good conversations in caucus, and I think that makes me bullish about things going forward. Yeah, Representative, let me uh, just ask you, I didn't describe this at the beginning when I introduced you, your district... Uh, the 93rd is what, all of Clinton County and a major chunk of Gratiot, right? Uh, it's a, it's a, um, a little less. I think Jim Lauer has a little more of Gratiot than I do. But I do get Ithaca and Breckenridge and some of those great uh, fields and farms in um, southern Gratiot. Yeah. Well, um, overall, how do you feel about your experience as a freshman uh, representative in the majority in the House? Uh, Republicans have a 58-52 margin over the Democrats. If you had told me before that I would be part of a caucus that gets uh, gets along well, that is able to work on major concepts like no fault and vote together, um, that I would be able to work on concepts like raise the age and pass that out of the House, um, that I would be even working on press conferences in Detroit, Kalamazoo. I tell you that I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'll call it a 12 <laughs> out of 10. This has been a good opportunity. 
Sounds like things are working out for you. Thank you very much, Representative Graham Filler of the 93rd House District, Republican of DeWitt, for being our guest on The Political Insider. Representative Filler, great job. All right, we'll see you, Bill.